Yo, yo, yo. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to Video X World. Uh, I'm your host, Ken Sims. I am very happy to be here. Very happy for you to join me as well. And very happy to tell you about the uh, voice bot. Well, it's actually not voice bot. It's the chat bot summit in Edinburgh in March, uh, March the 15th and 16th. VOX World is going to be there. We're running a track at the European Chatbot uh, and Conversational AI Summit. And you're going to be able to hear from Decathlon and Vodafone and Love Holidays, Total Jobs Group, LNER and a whole bunch of enterprises who are utilizing conversational AI in their intelligent automation and business transformation strategies. You're going to learn the tricks of the trade and what works in practice at uh, a large enterprise level. It's going to be absolutely amazing. If you go to theeuropeanchatbot.com, I've learned the URL now. I'll flash it up here and I'll put it in the show notes if you're tuning in. Uh, theeuropeanchatbot.com and you can save 30% on your tickets if you use the promo code VUXEU23. That'll get you access to both days, not just our day on the 16th. It'll get you access to both days uh, and it's going to be immense. It's going to be absolutely immense. I do hope to see you there. Theeuropeanchatbot.com Promo code VUXEU23 to save 30%. And we'll see you there. Looking forward to it. Uh, okay, now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome onto VUX World, Greg Johnson, who is the CEO of Invoker. Invoker doing some incredibly interesting things in the conversational AI space, and I'm dying to get into it with you. Greg, Greg, welcome. Kane, thanks for having me. As we say in the States, long-time listener, first-time caller, <laughs> uh, but really, really impressed with your work. I, I heard from a little birdie that this might be you're either you're at or you're approaching your five year anniversary of the UX world. So Indeed. congratulations on that. And uh, I always loved your stuff because I've said like the walk in the dog format. If any of you out there in LinkedIn or YouTube land haven't seen Kane do his hot takes while he's walking his dog, that was the first thing that caught my eye. It's such a distinct look. Nice. There you go. Then there you go. Winston. He's a he's a little uh, yeah. He's a little fame junkie. Winston. Uh, he's he's a, he's a legend. But uh, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Five years was. Uh, it was actually I realized I worked it out. It was the twelfth of February when it first launched. So it's yeah. been it's been slightly just over five years. Uh, the Winston. Uh, Winston is a legend. I don't know what I'm going to do if Winston ever uh, <laughs> is not around anymore. It's a bit sinister to think about it. But like that's where he's a he's a muse, Winston. Yeah. Um, but no, thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate uh, the compliments. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, I know you're a very busy guy, so spending some time. Oh, with me my to pleasure. I, lo I'm, pleasure. I love this topic, so it's a fun thing to talk about. Nice, cool, cool, cool. And Invoker, as I, as I mentioned, very interesting company. Invoker. Um, you know, I've I've seen the solution a number of times, and I've been lucky enough for the team to to kind of give me a whistle stop too and stuff like that. Very interesting take. Very interesting capabilities, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, during the course of the uh, the conversation. But it'd be interesting generally just hearing a little bit about yourself, Greg. We were talking a little bit before we came on um, about your background and and you know involvement in in conversational AI in one shape or another for you know, many years. Uh, Don't so you, you, Don't I won't, I won't date you, but there's a few people, uh, that exist, uh, not very many necessarily, but, uh, there's a few people who've, who've kind of got a lot of experience in this space, uh, and you're definitely one of them. So you're up there kind of in, in the kind of like legend status. Uh, so <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about kind of, you know, where, where your interests came from. Yeah, for sure. So um, today, I'm the CEO of a company called Invoca. We're a $100 million software company focused on conversation intelligence, primarily around marketing and sales uh, for big consumer brands. And I joined Invoca in 2016. The company was founded in 2009. Um, but as Kane you know, mentioned, I've been passionate about conversational intelligence and sort of finding meaning in conversational unstructured data for, gosh, it's been almost 15 years. So uh, immediately before coming to Invoke, I worked at Salesforce for about a decade and worked on two different products that were really oriented around how do you understand human intent and meaning in conversation. So the first one was a predecessor of Slack. Uh, the second one is as Salesforce got into the space around marketing right when Twitter and Facebook were sort of exploding onto the scene 2009, 2010, 2011. Uh, and really trying to help consumer brands understand you know, what consumers were expressing about their products and services. Um, so yeah, it's been fascinating to watch the evolution of this technology from you know, back when we started, nobody knew what an Alexa device was. The idea of speaking to a computer was something that you know, only a small number of 
really advanced thinkers were thinking about. So it's been really fun to see this dramatic evolution in computing and voice over the past decade, decade and a half. Mm, definitely. And and I always kind of um, credit Alexa and Amazon with um, at least the first wave of kind of enthusiasm. I know Facebook yeah. did a good job when it when it initially launched its kind of Facebook Messenger with AI and all that kind of stuff. Like it did a good job of enthusing some people. Alexa did a really good job of enthusing quite a decent sized community, I would say. Um, and that was when I sort of first got involved in it. But obviously back then, it was it was a different time. You know, the technology, although foundationally is pretty much the same as what a lot of platforms use today, but there's been some tremendous advancements even since then, you know. So what what are some of the kind of you mentioned their Salesforce were looking at this kind of stuff? What were some of the challenges faced sort of then at Salesforce from a kind of, you know, computing unstructured data perspective from a conversational AI perspective that kind of got the wheels turning from from you in terms of, you know, I think there's another business here in Invoca. Yeah, well, I think um, one of the big transitions you saw was just the, the significant advancements in speech to text that happened. Uh, I really, I would say kind of the 2011, 12, 13 timeframe, because the products that I was thinking about before that, they were all conversational text-based, right? Like you couldn't really do these types of things with live voice. And so the first one that we worked on was a predecessor of Slack, a product called Chatter that was an internal kind of collaboration and messaging app. And a lot of the things that we were thinking about was, hey, instead of having kind of a form-driven workflow application, like if you think about putting you know, in a time-off request into your HR system, or you think about if you're in a sales team updating a deal, we were looking at, you know, in a world of messaging and, and, and sort of updating people conversationally, could you find intent and structured data out of that conversation and make, you know, enterprise software applications more conversational? Um, second product we worked on was around social media and, and sort of understanding and, under, and, and defining intent out of conversations on Facebook and Twitter and various other social platforms. And then you have this tremendous change, at least for me personally, I think back kind of the 2012, 2014 timeframe, when uh, speech to text technologies really advanced, you saw Alexa come on the scene. And now the types of problems that had generally been things you could work on in text uh, became thing that you could do with live voice. And so that was an area of innovation um, that was really interesting. It was kind of, for, for me personally, and then I look at the evolution of the industry. I left Salesforce, came to Invoca right around the same time as Alexa was really starting to pick up steam. And one of the reasons I was interested in Invoca is because I was looking for companies that were focused on the next generation of conversation intelligence, but had sort of slightly different takes on it. Um, and we can get into some detail in a minute, but th those were some of the things that drew me to the company. Also, because the company is a very product and engineering driven company. I think of a lot of, I think of the two dominant companies that I've worked with in my career around one is Salesforce, the other is Google. I think of Salesforce as a sales and marketing driven company. I think of Google as a product and engineering driven company. I would say at, at Invoca, we're very much a product and engineering driven company like Google is. Mm, interesting. When you joined Invoca, what stage was that company at? Because I'm looking here, it was founded in sort of like 2008. Yep. Which you know, that's, it's, it's a fair while ago yep. um, when, for example, you know, there wasn't an Alexa, very little really in terms of kind of like, you know, chatbots out there and all that kind of stuff. Like voice, voice as a UI was, was pretty much non-existent, you know, like Siri, yeah. I think it just launched as an app might have yeah. been acquired by Apple at that point, but I don't know if it was or not. So I don't know if you're aware in terms of like, you know, if you could share a little bit about like, where was Invoker? When, yeah. you, when you kind of joined? And then what's changed since you've been there? Yeah. And let me, I'll give you a little bit of context about what we do at Invoca and then the yeah, way that yeah, I think of it. There are sort of two big stages of the company's evolution uh, and, and that'll play in. So at Invoca, we primarily serve digital marketing teams and sales teams in industries where um, people research and, and try to understand more about a product or service online but then want to have a consultative conversation with somebody in order to buy a product. So the example I always use, I think about my first time getting a mortgage. You know, I was 30 years old. I just got married. My wife was pregnant with our first child. Um, I'm a math guy. Like I have an MBA. I've done lots of math and spreadsheets around what's the best mortgage for me. 
But I, you know, buying a house was the biggest financial commitment I'd ever made. Getting a mortgage was critical to that. And I really wanted to be sure that I was getting the right product. So at some point in the process of getting a mortgage, I moved from like, you know, doing online calculators and doing my own spreadsheet math to having a conversation with an expert on mortgages to make sure that I was getting the right product, to make sure that it was going to close in time and we'd get our house and really give me the confidence um, to go and, and make that purchase decision. And so in Voca, we help connect the dots between the digital experience that a consumer like that has, where they find a product via you know, Google, a search engine, a social platform, they come on the website, they, they look at some things. Um, and then when they escalate in to have a conversation with an agent in a contact center, we'll help bridge that gap of when they move from the digital world to the human interaction world. And then the second wave of the company was really on how do we understand those human to human conversations? Because Kane, what baffled me is in these big consumer brands, you have marketing teams that will spend hundreds of millions or billions of dollars on digital marketing and digital advertising. And then you'll have a contact center team that uh, ultimately drives tons of revenue and new customer acquisition. Those teams don't really talk to one another. They don't have a lot of data on how the user flows, the consumer flows from one area to the next. And so Invoca really bridges that gap. And so I would say there are two phases of the company's history. Number one was just understanding the, the transition of when a user moves from the digital world to having a conversation, that was kind of phase one. And then I joined right in the early stages of phase two, where the marketing teams were saying, hey, we don't really understand what's going on in the contact center, but that these new technologies that can help us understand that at scale without having to actually work with the contact center teams. And so that's when Invoca started to really invest in uh, speech analytics, conversational intelligence. This all started 2014, 2015, about a year and a half after I joined. And so, or sorry, before I joined. And so as I was looking at the company, I saw the types of things that they were doing around uh, analyzing conversational interactions in 2015, 2016. I got really, really excited. Uh, we were probably about 15 million in revenue at that point in time. And so for me, it was an opportunity of how do you take this technology at a time when the whole industry is evolving? And is there a way that you can sort of make the, the most of that technology and how the company is going to grow and serve customers over time? Mm, excellent. It's, um, it's a, it's a note that has, it's very difficult to crack that whole kind of contact center relationship with the rest of the organization, not just marketing, but lots of different divisions in the company. Oh, I don't know if you feel the same, but like, it always seems to me in my experience that kind of like the contact center always seems to be a kind of disconnected sort of appendage kind of thing. And it's like, it's where, it's where sort of like, you know, the business fails over here and all of the flack gets picked up in the contact center, but the business unit is kind of oblivious to it all. Yet, the customers are calling and revenue is coming through it as well. So it's like it's a crucial part of a business, but it always has this reputation and culturally in an organization, it's it's always this sort of thing on the fringes, on the outskirts kind of thing. Would you feel the same, same about that? Yeah, I, I say to our teams all the time that, you know, actually, let me take a step back. I, I generally, what I think enterprise software companies, great enterprise software companies do, they build great technology, they deliver great service for their, through their people, and that's about bringing expertise and advice to the table. Uh, they build an amazing brand, and they build an amazing community of customers. And so one of the things I emphasize with our team is the people element of what we do. It's not just about the technology building blocks. It's like, how do you leverage your people expertise? And for us, I can't tell you how many times I've been in meetings and we serve like really big customers, right? We're going to an enterprise focused company. And I can't tell you, Kate, how many times I've been in a meeting with a VP of digital marketing who spends hundreds of millions of dollars on Google and a contact center leader that drives revenue for the company. And I, as, an, as the CEO of an outside third-party technology partner, are introducing those two people. <laughs> and it's like, how do you not know each other? Um, but I do. I think people tend to go on their silos. Personal hypothesis, I think COVID has made this worse. I think working from home has gotten everybody in this heads-down mode. Uh, there are great things about working from home, like I'm at home today. But I think it's tend to make everybody a little bit more, it's kind of narrowed your mindset and got you more focused just on what you do and cuts out kind of the peripheral vision that you may have inside of a company. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really surprised how rarely those two specific teams are connected at a big consumer brand. And 
it's it's a source of tremendous consumer insight. I mean, you go back to what you're saying. You think about all the money and the time that people spend on uh, surveying their customers. Like every time you go to a website today, boing, immediately get a pop-up that says like, what did you think about your experience? Contact Center is a center of insight around everything a consumer is doing with your brand. And, you know, not only the sort of the tactical applications of how do you improve the experience that an agent delivers, how do you help an agent improve their skill set and, and get better at their job, but also how do you tap into the consumer inside of essentially a real-time brain meter of what is going on with your consumers that you're serving? And it just baffles me sometimes how um, I think contact center folks don't advocate for themselves enough sometimes, don't do enough kind of internal evangelism of, hey, look at all this great data that we have and the different ways to use it. And, and so I definitely think that's an opportunity that we see, especially in the big consumer brands. Mm, definitely. It's almost like if you were to think about, uh, you know, the way that an enterprise kind of structures itself in those silos, as you mentioned, it's tempting to think about contact center or digital marketing or marketing in general as just one of those silos. Whereas really, I think, what what Invoker and solutions like it kind of enable, I find, is it allows you to think about the organization structure slightly differently, which is if you if you kind of tip it all on its side, instead of viewing it as silos and you view it as horizontally kind of structured units and the contact center being at the base of all of that, which is where, as you said, everything comes through there. All the data comes through there. Lots of sales come through there. Lots of the conversations, all, meaning all the conversations with customers go through there. And being able to feed that data up into the business and extract that insight back into the contact center in terms of the the products and services, the business processes, things like that, it's almost as though like the contact center is the con should should be the conduit between yeah. the customer and the rest of the organization rather than a silo over here. Yeah, we do a uh, we do a lot of partner work with Five Nine Contact Center Player and the former CEO who just left a few a few months ago, Rowan Trollope. Uh, Rowan had the saying that he used that I thought was brilliant, which is he talked about how during COVID, you know, really the contact center evolved to be the front door to your business. And it's a simple statement, but I think it's one that everybody sort of puzzle over. And then you realize the volume of consumer interactions that happen in a big B2C contact center. And uh, it's tremendous. I'll tell you one of the other things came that we find, and we're always sort of exploring as a thesis, is in a big consumer contact center, you know, an overwhelming majority of the resources, the focus, the KPIs is around customer service and customer care. Um, but the particular industries that we serve, so you think about, you know, financial services, automotive, telecom, travel and hospitality, uh, in the U.S., healthcare. Um, in those areas, the contact center is a tremendous revenue driver. And that revenue driving component tends to get overlooked given the focus on customer support, customer interactions, and sort of thinking about what are the ways that you can really unleash the power of the contact center as a revenue driver is another area where we spend a lot of time with customers. Because when you talk to a contact center executive, you know they're thinking about things based on interaction volume. And 80% of the interactions that come through the contact center tend to be around customer service. So they're thinking about angel, uh, average handle time. They're thinking about what can they do around call deflection. Whereas a lot of the customers that we serve they're like, I don't want call deflection. Like the calls that I that I take, the conversations I have, they drive revenue for the company. And so they're thinking about how do they how do they actually engage in those in a more meaningful way as opposed to deflecting them because they view that human conversation as a unique differentiator. In these industries, a lot of what you're doing is you're giving the consumer the confidence that they're buying the right product. And that is not something that is easily done through automation. That is something where I think the human connection can play a really important role. Mm, that's very good. That's very good. Um, we've got a couple of comments here. Sean Moss is loving this conversation. Thank you, Sean. Uh, I won't take any credit for that. I think this is all Greg this. <laughs> uh, some of the best product innovations can come from the common issues on a customer call, says Sean. Absolutely. Uh, Doug was laughing. I think he was laughing at your anecdote about the whole silo thing and you were introducing contact center and digital marketing people for the first time. Uh, Miguel, Sean, uh, yeah, nice to meet you. Uh, sorry, uh, nice to hear from someone with such knowledge and perspective is also spot on. So there you go. Thank you very much, uh, everybody. Keep the comments coming. If you've got any questions for Greg, feel free to stick them in there. Um, it was interesting there. You were talking about contact centers focusing on things like call deflection and stuff like that, because that is the primary, not primary necessarily, but a very kind of common use case for conversational AI and that yep. voice AI technology. 
Um, and so it's very tempting to think that the way in which we should apply conversational AI is in deflective use cases, self-service use cases, things like that. Um, I used to work in uh, with government organizations and I used to say the same thing basically as you've just outlined, which is imagine if every single call you received was revenue producing. You would stack that contact center with as many people as you could possibly afford to bring on yeah. because it's bringing <laughs> revenue into the business. It wouldn't yeah. be a problem to take calls. Um, yeah. But so so it's but it's interesting how it the perception is that these customers we we should be finding a way to automate this in order to scale and all that kind of stuff, um. But I think interestingly there for those organisations that are handling sales calls, you mentioned a bunch of different industries there. You know, um, what is it then that they will get in addition to? I could have a call tomorrow or today with somebody. I could rely on my skills or lack thereof but as an, ex an experienced salesperson would develop a lot of skills experience that kind of stuff um to be able to have those calls those calls have been happening for a long time decades hundreds of years potentially there's been conversations happening around sales so what is it in addition to someone's experience on a call that tools like invoker bring to the table yeah i think there's i think there's a couple things um i mean one of the elements, I was just with a customer, US telecom customer last week, and we were talking through some of the work we're doing together. And one of the things this individual said is, my goal is for the consumer to never have to repeat anything. And the whole point was, you know, as you think about, you know, in the, in the old days, people would call into a contact center as a first way to solve a problem. That's kind of over. Like, it doesn't really happen today, right? Like, people will generally try and leverage digital self-service tools in order to solve the problems they're doing. So, like, I know for me, if I'm trying to fix something in the house, like, th the easiest thing for me to find is not to have a conversation with somebody. It's to find a video on YouTube. Because then I really, instead of Kane describing to me how to take apart my sink, I can just watch Kane take apart the plumbing in his sink. And that's much more instructive for me. And so, I think people lean towards you know, all the digital self-service resources that are out there today. And that's a good thing. Like, you know, the, the voice channel is not the one size fits all channel to solve every problem. It's not. Um, but conversely, what happens is when a consumer escalates from a digital channel into a voice channel today, many times they essentially have to start over again. And they have to re-explain what they're interested in. And in a customer service use case, the example I would use is if I've gone to your website and I've looked on your knowledge base and I've looked at a knowledge base article about product A, another article about product A, and another article about product A, the first question that you ask me when you get me on the phone should not be, uh, hi, I'm here to help you. Are you having a problem with product A, product B, or product C? Like I've kind of already told you <laughs> implicitly through what I'm doing on your website. Um, or if you think in a, in a, in a revenue-focused experience, one of the flows that we work on a lot with our customers is you know, they're all trying to drive more transactional commerce through e-commerce. And so if I'm looking at buying something relatively simple, like if I'm going to Vodafone looking to add support for my Apple Watch, uh, which in the US is like you know, $10, call it six quid a month, I shouldn't have to speak to a human being to do that. Like That's pretty straightforward. Um, it, but understanding, like, if I've gone into the checkout flow and I've put that service into my cart and then I call into the contact center, like, it'd be a great experience to sort of pick that right up from where it is and deliver a seamless experience that says, hey, how can I help you complete a transaction? It looks like you're trying to add Apple Watch service. So having the digital to contact center flow from a consumer perspective flow really smoothly, that is one area that we're focused on. Um mm. And by the way, I'll tell you in a minute a vignette around how that can also help you drive more revenue. Um, number two, I think, is really understanding how to deploy these technologies because whether it's e-commerce or whether it's through a virtual agent, I think all of us technologists, we have this belief that we hit the go button on these technologies and suddenly consumers will change how they engage with us as a company. And I can't say how many customers I've seen deploy either e-commerce technology or virtual agents, and they expect the world to change overnight. And it doesn't change overnight. It actually, it takes a lot of work. There's a lot of incremental A-B tests. There's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of improvements that you have to do. 
And if you can do that based off real data and real understanding of where are those flows working and where are they not working, like one of the things that you do in e-commerce is we'll help a brand understand, is there a certain spot in your e-commerce flow when people are tending to escalate into the contact center? And then we'll use conversation intelligence to look at those escalations and say, is this a value added human interaction? Or is this actually just an indication that it's page four of your e-commerce flow? It kind of stinks. The design's not so great. And you need to go back and test it. So I think a lot of the value in these technologies, people want to believe that you just deploy the technology and it magically everything changes. And I spent my entire life building software products. I can tell you, I wish it were that easy. It's not that easy. <laughs> There's a lot of tuning and development that you need to go do. And that's a lot of the insights that, you know, Invoca and other players in the market will bring to the table is like, let's help you understand that customer pathing of when they go from a digital to voice experience. Could be with an agent, a virtual agent, could be with a live agent. Let's understand how those conversation goes and, and what those conversation, the feedback loop, the data that's being thrown off that conversation to help you understand how to handle those things better whether that's through automation and digital or whether that's through coaching your agents and how they, how they connect with customers. Mm, that's really good. That's fantastic. So, so if I'm, let me see if I'm understanding this correctly then. So the, what will happen is let's say I go into a website. I'm in the process of, um, I don't know, checking out the Apple watch, as you yep. said, there's something that's not quite right. Uh, it doesn't specify whether there is a, I don't know, whatever it is, something's missing that I don't yep. quite feel comfortable about. I remember seeing on an advert that I could get an upgrade for my, for a wife or child or something like that, but it's not coming up on the page. So I call up and then what you're saying is that when I call, the person who answers the phone will say they're, they're armed with my journey context. data. We call that context or like journey data. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So they can pick up the conversation straight away and say, ah, right. looks like you're trying to check out this watch. Any Anything I can help you with there? Rather than saying, hi, yeah. welcome to Vodafone. Yeah. Completely, completely. And, you know, there's a, there's a way to do this in, in a fashion that is helpful and complementary and not privacy invasive. Um, so I'll give you, an, this is my, my revenue generating example. So I have a customer in the U.S. and... Um, one of the things they did, they did two things that seemingly are very simple, but were actually quite profound in terms of customer experience. Number one, they would look at how engaged and how deep you were in the website and use that to prioritize where you would land in their call center queue. So if mm -hmm. I've been on the website for 15 minutes, poking around, looking at pages, doing various things, responding to specific offers, and I call into the contact center, they know I am really interested. If you think about it from a marketing context, like if you think of these people as leads, like they are a very warm lead. And so if your contact center capacity constrained, which I don't know about you, Kane, but pretty much every contact center leader I talk to is contact center capacity constrained. You want to use that digital body language to determine who should I get to first and who should I get to later? And so like we'll pass that data into like a five, nine, a Genesis, a nice and contacts, they can use that in their prioritization and routing algorithms to say, Hey, this consumer seems like really, really engaged. Like let's get them to somebody more quickly. And then the second thing that this customer will do is they will get the context to the agent. What is the consumer looking to do? And so I'll give you an example of the type of things that happens. So, uh, and I'm going to use geographic references for a second. In the U S you can buy like a special, cable package that gives you access to all the American football games on Sunday. I don't know if they have something like this for Premier League in the UK, mm -hmm. maybe like Sky or something like that. And so, you know, somebody who's looking to sign up for a Sky-like service, they'll go Google like Premier League, you know, I don't know what the content's called, access. They'll be looking at a specific offer, which is, do you want to see streaming of every single Premier League game every Saturday and Sunday all the time? And they'll call into an agent. And the agent doesn't go, Kane. I see that you were looking at our Premier League content. Like, that's not what you train them to do. What you train them to do is you go, hi, Kane, how are you doing today? We were actually running a promotion where we've got 15% off our all Premier League access subscription package. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was just like. It feels like serendipity. It feels like magic. Mm. And what it is, is it's technology working behind the scenes. And oh, by the way, when we've run these tests with customers, what we've seen is your close rates, your conversion rates on those calls, are like 50 to 100% better because the customer connects with you immediately. They're like intuitively, they have the sense of this brand understands me. They know what I'm interested in. Um, mm. 
So the issue, and you can apply these things to care as well. Like if I've been poking around the knowledge base for 15 minutes, A, you want to give an agent a heads up on what types of things I've been looking at. And you can use that in your agent assist algorithms or even in your virtual agent. Like if I've been looking at specific articles about a specific product, when the virtual agent or the, or the voice bot first gets on to talk to me, we can pass that data into the virtual agent. That can be used to sort of hone in on where in the language corpus they're looking for matching what you're interested in. It reduces the number of conversational turns you're having. It delivers a faster, better experience. Or you give that context to an agent and an agent understands this person's been on the website looking at tons and tons of pages. The likelihood they're going to be frustrated is pretty high when they get into this call. And so one of the things that's important, I think, right now is you've had all these advances in conversational technology and you have all these systems that are essentially trying to diagnose what's going on based purely on the conversation when the conversation starts. But if you mm -hmm. have this digital context, this digital context is a massive clue into what a consumer wants before the conversation ever starts. And so in a way, you as a brand, you're kind of ahead of the game because you're using all this data before the conversation begins, rather than trying to figure out what's happening in real time as the conversation's happening, telling the agent like, do this, do this, do this. Instead, what you're doing is you're providing that context to the agent upfront so they have a very clear understanding of what they're dealing with before ever the conversation gets started. Um, mm. So I think it, it's kind of thinking about how do you smooth that consumer journey? And then how do you give the agent the context at the very beginning and outset? Because like we'll pop this stuff to the contact center agent even before they pick up the call. How do you give that context to them in real time? Because they're just going to be far better equipped to handle the interactions that happen as a result. Mm, wicked, wicked. Uh, Richard is thinking exactly what I was thinking, which is that uh, Greg just used my new favorite phrase, digital body language. That was spot on. I have to credit that. I have to actually I have to credit that one um, to the folks that are uh, over at Medallia, who, who are, uh, and they acquired a company called Decibel, actually, UK company. And they use right. that, they coined that frame. And I have the same way. Like, it's a great... It, sort of like what are the buying signals or what are the customer signals that are coming out of your digital interactions? And I thought digital body language is a great term. It is perfect. It is perfect. Um, this is my question is related to Sean's. Maybe we can kind of tackle that, that two at the same time. Sean's question is, would this, would this data feed into some sort of dynamic scripting tool or reliant on agent training? My kind of question is similar, which is that let's, let's answer that question first. Like does, does yeah. that data feed into, you know, in the agent assist example, Yes. Does it feed into some sort of scripting? How, how does it? How does it kind of? Yeah. Maybe, maybe a better so, way. Maybe a bit, Sorry. Maybe a better way of phrasing it actually is: Does Invoker produce the data and then send that to like a five nine, and yeah. then five nine can do what they like with it? Is that kind Completely. of completely? So we'll send it to a contact center platform like five nine Genesis Nice. We'll send it to a CRM platform, you know, like Salesforce, ServiceNow, Microsoft Dynamics, and then the, those tools oftentimes have either real-time scripting or agent assist type functionality. And we just think of this unique Invoca data, this context data that we have around the digital journey, that's just another useful input into those systems. So whether you're talking like, you know, uh, 5.9 has an, an intelligent virtual agent product, we're just going to feed that data into the virtual agent. And as you all know, with most of these tools and everything AI related, the more data, the better. Almost mm -hmm. agnostic of type, the more data, the better. Not only are we helping get these tools more data, but we're getting them highly relevant, highly accurate data as to what the consumer is likely having an issue with. And so whether you think about that in terms of if you've got sort of a flowed script can provide an input there. If it's a screen pop of just like, hey, here are the resources, uh, knowledge base articles that might be relevant, you can feed it into there. If it's an, a virtual agent or a bot, you can feed it into there. The idea is you've got a really good sense of what the consumer's intent is. And like, let's just use that in any way, shape, form, or possible, whether it's call routing, uh, scripting, agent assist resources to, to help help make that experience a better one. Mm -hmm. And the good thing about like, we're an integration company. So like we can push data into any of these systems in real time. It's purely a question of can the data can the downstream platform receive the data in real time and how can they use it and, and process it? Mm, wicked. Um we might have answered this question of Richard's and I don't think it's going to all, it does all display. Um, oftentimes the, the customer care 
channel and the contact the call center is a channel of last resort when they've tried the website as, as we've been explaining uh then they've tried a chat potentially got frustrated and then how is that how is it best to take that into consideration when designing the avia i think we might have got to that because you were giving some really good examples there of companies that are taking that customer journey the digital body language and feeding that into their uh their kind of um their avr and their, their agent assist features and, and those kind of things maybe maybe a different question then would be um firstly i think it's worth pointing out that that gap that's being bridged is absolutely I think critical in terms of providing a good customer experience. Cause you're right. Most of the time someone goes to a website, they're doing whatever they're doing in the website. All that data is being captured by like a Google analytics or whatever platform. And it goes one place. Then they pick up the phone. And the only way really that people could previously track that people have got like called because they went on the website was just to have like one phone number that is on the website. And like, that's the website phone number. And so now we know when people are calling from the website. But then what happens is people just save the phone number. And so you have no idea where people are calling from, really. And there's just a complete disconnect between the th- thing that's happening like five minutes prior, as you said, and yeah. then what led, what actually led to the call. Then you start doing like loads of sort of like, oh, let's have a look at our contact us pages. And we can get now on Apple and Android, we can get clicks on hyperlinks of phone numbers. So we can do event tracking on that. But it's like, where did that phone call go? You know, who answered it? Did it get answered in the first place? Like there's no connection whatsoever to the digital experience and the online experience. So it's a, it's a perfect kind of bridge, I think. Um, and, and, and I would just, I would add again, as a former product person, cause I, my whole background in life is product management. I just want to emphasize for the practitioners that are out there is you deploy these new types of tools you will see some change in behavior. You will see some adoption. You will see some uptake, but you are at the very first step of a very long journey. You have to do the hard work of looking at the analytics of thinking, you know, what are the customer pathing flows? When are they coming into chat? When are they going to the IVR? What are the types of things they're typically doing? And that's hard work. And, and, but having the data to understand what those paths are and sort of building the muscles of looking at the data analyzing the data and making decisions off the data. I think that's, that's where the, the real innovators differentiate is they don't just go deploy a technology, a new technology, and just assume it's all going to work. They look at the feedback cycle and that spirit of continuous improvement. They're constantly innovating, tweaking, working on what they're doing. And uh, I think that's where having good data and analytics and the muscle as an organization to go look at those data analytics and make decisions based off. It's really, really important. Mm. And is there some way of doing any kind of analytics within the, cause I know that Invoker you've got kind of like a, a platform backend sort of thing. Like is, yep. is it always the case that you shoot the data out to a external provider or I'm assuming you've got some analytics capabilities that you can. Yeah, we definitely, um, I, I always joke around cause our product lead, I think he would love to have our customers make one clear and cohesive decision. They're either going to do their analytics in Invoca or they're going to do their analytics in something like Google or Adobe analytics, something. The reality is people use both. Um, mm. so, you know, we have visualization tools, we have, uh, a really cool product called Signal Discovery that we built three or four years ago that the whole idea was, you know, marketers have certain types of events they're looking for in conversations. They want to understand did something, did someone buy something or not? If they didn't buy something, are they in market? So they come into the conversation knowing what they want, but then they said, hey, like, we don't know what's happening in some areas. Like, can, can the algorithms surface for us interesting things that are happening that we may not think to know about? And uh, so we built this tool called Signal Discovery that automatically clusters different types of conversations into unique groupings and then surfaces those and says, hey, it looks like you're having a lot of conversations in this area. You should go listen to a few of these samples and see what's going on. And one of the things, just serendipity, we did this about a year and a half before COVID. And a ton of our customers took a huge amount of advantage of this during COVID because COVID created this massive dislocation in customer experience. Like suddenly... You know, all these things that had stayed very constant for decades changed overnight and everybody's trying to understand like, well, what's on my consumer's mind? What questions are they asking? So again, in the US and healthcare, a lot of marketers, they didn't realize that consumers who needed to come in for important critical health 
uh, procedures like, you know, cardiac checkups or things like that. They had all these questions around like, well, can I do that when the pandemic is happening? And what are the right policies and procedures and how I'm going to be treated? And there was just this massive dislocation. And so I think it taught us and it taught our customers, you need to be mindful of what things may be happening in the background that you're not thinking about that are on your consumers' minds, the customers' minds that you're serving and things like new competitors entering your market. Um, how are things changing? And, and so that technology was really aimed at helping surface those things uh, to, to a brand and help them think about how to react. And so it's kind of a good example of one of the areas where we really focus our user experience inside of our application on things that we can uniquely provide. Whereas if you look at like digital journey pathing, you could do some of that in Boca, but like the tools like you get from Adobe Analytics or Google Analytics or, or other folks like Medallia uh, are very advanced in that world. And so then we'll just pump our data into those systems as well so that you can use the data there too. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so all, all of that sounds perfect. As I said, fills a fills a, a big void, I think. And a lot of companies that have that disconnect between website journey traffic and contact center demand, I think will obviously, as they are, find value in it. Where does the conversation and intelligence bit come in then? Because all of what we've been discussing kind of so far is really around tying together a web journey and prior customer behavior to a conversation with a human. Yep. What part of it, where does the conversation and intelligence come in? Yeah, so that's kind of the, when I talked earlier about there are kind of two focal technology areas for us as a company. Mm-hmm. One is sort of mapping these digital to contact center escalations. Then it's actually about understanding what happens in that contact center conversation at scale. And, and so, you know, I think a lot of people in the conversation intelligence world, you understand the use cases around, like, for example, things around agent coaching uh, and, and understanding how it can use technology to, to help agents understand how they're doing at scale across thousands and thousands of agents. And we do work in that area. I'll focus on an area that many in the audience can, I think, won't be as familiar with, which is from a marketer's point of view, um, you really want to understand what happened in that conversation with an agent to identify in an automated way, what's the right next step? How should I go engage with this person? So if you think about, um, again, I'll use the mortgage example. If I come online, I'm doing a bunch of research. um, Then I go and I have a conversation with an agent. Um, If I go ahead and fill out, start an application to get a quote for a mortgage online, great. Like Then the marketer needs to know it again, an automated way in a way that feeds data back into Adobe, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Google, all these other platforms, like at an individual user level, this personing is engaging with us. Uh, I don't need to go spend more money in my digital marketing and digital advertising to sort of drive an initial conversation. Conversely, if I do not buy, uh, but I, in my digital body language and my conversational body language express intent and interest, We'll have algorithms running these conversations to look for, did you convert? Did you not convert? If you didn't convert, do you appear to be in market for the product? What type of product are you interested in? So we're looking at how do we take this unstructured information, extract it, put it in a highly structured format, feed it back into the customer engagement stack, which is you know Adobe, Salesforce, Google, Facebook, in a scalable way where then people can run automations off of it. Uh, so for example, one of the things that I mentioned, if you think about all of us, like we live with these devices all the time, I'm an iPhone person. If I call my telco provider and I have a conversation in late September or early October with an agent around the new iPhones just came out, my family's kind of interested in upgrading. What kind of deal do you have for me? If we can take that conversational insight and we could append it to your data profile and a customer data platform or a CRM platform or a website personalization platform, the next time I come and visit the website, if you show me a promotion for an Android device, you have failed <laughs> because I have told you we are an iPhone family. We are an Apple family. And if you're using the right conversational insight, you would pick up on that. You would append that in a structured data sort of way to my customer profile And then your website personalization engine that's looking at what's the next best offer would not be trying to pitch an Android device to somebody who said, I am a four-person iPhone family. And so a lot of the work that we do in the AI world is how do we take those conversational intents, those conversational interactions, extract meaning out of that, 
get it in a highly structured format so that it looks, if you think about like website data, website data has a very rigid structure to it. And a lot of technology built around processing that data and driving personalization off of it. We're sort of trying to take that conversational interaction and use AI and ML to get it into that same highly structured format that all the digital marketing players are used to using and processing based off of. And then we pass that up front to the Google, Facebook, Adobe, Salesforce, CDP stack, and you go do all your personalization off of it. So that's kind of that other area where like we're using digital body language to influence how the agent handles the conversation. And then we use the conversational body language to go tailor the next best experience in the digital world. Mm, that's really good. That um, the EE could do with that actually. I, I use EE, and uh, every now and then they'll send me a text message, which is for some random promotion, and I'll click on it, and it'll be like a Galaxy Samsung Galaxy phone or whatever it might be. It's like you know for a fact that I've got an iPhone, and I've had an iPhone with you for the last <laughs> decade. You know what I mean? What's the chances yeah. of you getting a Galaxy tomorrow? I mean, I mean, it, if carriers want to play the role of advocating for people to switch from iPhone to Android devices or from Android to iPhone, great. You can go spend your marketing budget doing that, but that's not where I would spend my money if I were the CEO <laughs> of a carrier. So yeah, you would think they would know that, Kane. You'd think they'd it's know. Mad. It's mad. Um, <clears throat> so how is that how is that working then this this side of things are, are you using the kind of traditional intent model and then extracting entities out of the conversation like this person's mentioned iphone and now let's let's put that into salesforce or whatever or is there something else going on that, that you're doing oh I, I mean i think like everybody these days you are having to attack the problem in multiple different ways and so we have everything from you know, looking at broad horizontal models to one of the areas that we've been really focused on over the past three years has been enabling our customers to quickly and easily train their own models off of volume sets as low as call it 50 or 100 calls, looking mm -hmm. for specific intents and outcomes that are important to them and their business. So we'll provide some out of the box features. So for example, because again, we tend to be focused on revenue and conversion events, and a lot of the key verticals that we serve, we've trained specific algorithms to go look for specific conversion events. So uh, in the mortgage space, did you submit an application? Or for your property casualty insurer, like your car insurance, did you request a quote uh, for a car dealership? Did you um, book an appointment? So we've done some out-of-the-box algorithms that go identify that. We enable customers to upload training data or, or, or categorize training data uh, to then we automatically build models on the back end looking for more unique events that are specific in their business. And then increasingly, like I think about we're doing a lot of work in automotive um, and the automotive customers want sort of industry specific um, uh, entity identification and extraction where they're like, I want to know the make, the model and the, and the brand of the car that people are talking about because then I want to put that in my structured CRM database in order to understand how do I drive that next interaction? Like the path to buying a car is a long one. It takes, you know, 120 to 200 days. And so they want to understand where is that intent. So I think, and especially what you see over the past few months and, and the evolutions that are going on with ChatGPT, like you've got to take multiple different angles at all these problems. And I think you have to constantly reassess and re-examine where your value add is as a technology provider. Like we did a lot of work in 2018, 2019 um, around compliance and around, you know, masking personally identifiable data and stuff that today AWS kind of provides out of the box. Um, but you know, AWS didn't offer that in 2017, 2018. So I think you have to keep evolving and relooking at where is your value out as a technology provider versus where are the things that are becoming more kind of industry standard, I'd say commoditized, but more, uh, ar areas where frankly, like, platforms beneath you are starting to provide those services in a more scalable fashion. Mm. <clears throat> Interesting. There's a question from Miguel. I'll get, I'll get to it in a minute. I'm curious. I've asked this question to a number of people before, and I'm always curious about where does Invoker kind of begin and end sort of thing. So some of those examples that you've given there, fantastic examples, you yep. know, someone's on the website, they're calling about an iPhone. You can stick that in your CRM so that next time, you know, when they visit the website, you should be showing them iPhone deals. Perfect use case. You're taking uh, an intent, which actually may have actually only been expressed over the phone, 
but then you're then able to then kind of almost like through a different channel personalize it a different channel basically off the back of data you've captured in one channel which is great conversely you, you, you the other example you gave which is really good was that there's people who are on the website going through a certain journey and after they've been through a certain number of pages or a certain number of you know key pages then they call you can then say okay well this person's like a hot lead let's put them straight through to someone this person's not let's make them wait a little bit until we free up capacity those kind of that that's like taking the data and then applying it to a use case isn't it now uh, you you will see all of these use cases because invoker is is kind of you know the platform that underpins it all but how much does invoker need to work with clients to show them examples of this stuff look this is what you can do you can personalize your web journey based on conversations you're happening over the phone you can personalize how people are treated over the phone based on what they're having on the website like how much of your your job as invoker is trying to inspire the client to think more broadly versus just giving them the tools and then they'll execute using their imagination uh can is a great question that is a huge part of what we do a huge part of what we do is um, what we call are the possible. I think one of, uh, there's a gentleman named Mike Rosenbaum who will not listen to this podcast, but Mike, if you do, hope you're well. He's the CEO of a company called Guidewire in the insurance space. And he and I worked together at Salesforce and he worked on the platform team. And the platform team essentially has a bunch of components that you as a, a customer can go do things with. And Mike had this saying where he referred to Legos. I think he has boys like I do. And he would say, you know, when you go to buy a box of Legos, what do you see? You don't see a box of Legos. You see a Millennium Falcon. And you buy the Millennium Falcon, and then you open it up, and there's a box, an instruction booklet on how you go build the Millennium Falcon. Like, Legos is not selling blocks of Legos. Legos is selling Millennium Falcons. And so I think that's a lot of what uh, all the players in the space today have to do. You have to demonstrate the vision and help a consumer understand, what is the Millennium Falcon? Like, what is the business outcome that I am buying here? And then you go work with them to put together the building blocks and into that Millennium Falcon. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that we face selling primarily into marketing teams, marketing teams are really light on technology resources. So their ability to go invest in putting the different building blocks together is pretty limited uh, compared to other areas. Like I think contact center typically has more technical resources available to it. So we have to finish a lot of that job for our customers, which is where sort of us having an end to end application that works out of the box is really important. Um, but I think, you know, the art of the possible and the educating the market is a huge part of where we are at, given how new some of these technologies are. And so I think not just for Invoca, but I think every provider in the space, a huge part of the work you do is educating the market on what types of things are possible and, and what types of things deliver dramatic improvements in customer experience for relatively low effort and cost. Mm, fantastic. We have got a good question. As we start to uh, think about the future, if you can hear Winston behind me, he's... Uh, He's not out for a walk right now. He's, uh, he's back <laughs> because my wife's literally coming through the door. I really should reschedule his podcasts at a time when they don't come in because he's every, like the last four weeks, every podcast I've done has had Winston barking in the background. Anyway, uh, question from Miguel, which I think is a good one. Um, do you think that websites will evolve into being smart platforms themselves, much like a multimodal version of ChatGPT, where the user can interact direct, directly with the data that underpins the website, as opposed to the website itself. Do you think that's likely? And if so, how far away from that reality do you think we might be? Uh, I'm going to give you a really. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to take the easy road out here, Miguel. I don't know. It, you know. Um, What's really hard in technology is sometimes you see technology that like for five things that suddenly become possible, two will take off, three will not. It's hard to explain why. Um, so certainly has the technology advanced in a way that that type of interaction is possible? Yes, for sure. Um, conversely is like, you know, like every technology company, you know, we have our Slack channel where we're discussing implications of chat GPT on what it means for our business. Uh, a lot of our work is tied to Google and their search business, which obviously there are a lot of questions around Google search business right now. But you know, for everybody who's saying, oh, this is like a radically different transformation of how people are going to do search. Google's had this format called Google Answers or Google Snippets for like years now, where I could go in and I can say, 
you know, um, give me the 20, you know, the first 20 digits of pi. And it's not going to send me out to a website. It's going to give me that answer right there. And a lot of marketers don't like that because essentially you're taking web traffic away from them and, and helping, you know, the consumer find the answer easier. Uh, consumer advocates always say that's great. Google's doing a good job of that. Marketers and advertisers think that's a power land grab by Google to, to take more ownership of the customer experience. Um, certainly the, the realm of what's possible has, I think, you know, the, the scale to use a biblical reference is like the scales have fallen from people's eyes over the past three months. And I think we all appreciate the types of things that are possible now. Um, how fast this will change how people do search and what is the role of the website? Um, yeah. Where's my dice? Let me get, let me get roll the dice down and we'll, and we'll check and see, but certainly uh, the potential opportunities around around what you can do conversationally today are very different than where they were three years ago. We're certainly six or seven. Mm. Yeah. I'll be interested in getting your thoughts around the whole large language models and ChatGPT stuff. But I think just playing on Miguel's question about the future of websites, one of the things I've been thinking about recently is how, um, you know, how kind of you've got, as you said, you've got Google with smart answers. You've got Bing GPT or Bing chat as it's known. That's kind of like, bridging the gap between search and conversation over time obviously it'll start helping people get stuff done and it'll, it'll almost kind of be able to bring content from the web into more of a conversation so it's taking content from a website and bringing it up the the um what's the word i'm looking for up the value chain so to yep. speak yep into the front end of the browser and the implications for for a website in that instance is what you know do you need to write conversationally do you need to structure your data in a different kind of way and all that kind of stuff um but the but still there'll be traffic going to websites and so from your kind of perspective thinking about that and thinking about like the the bit before the website it sounds as though invoker does a good job of understanding the website journey tagging that onto um the, the phone call so you can stitch together the end thing there's stuff that happens before the website though isn't there like the google search or the bing search or the getting onto the campaign onto the website from an email campaign which has got a parameter you know tracking url yep. on it do, are you do do you do anything to, to uh, around the stuff that's outside of the website in order to try and you know build a different picture of the customer journey as far as like where people come from and all that kind of stuff? Uh, let me yeah. split that answer in two. One from an Invoca point of, what does Invoca do? I'm actually not going to talk a lot about this, but yes, we do a lot of things outside of, uh, we do stuff around email marketing, we do stuff around direct mail, a variety of other things. Uh, let me pull the thread on the chat GPT on this conversation. Um, mm. You know, I think we're all entranced by chat GPT and you forget that if you try to, if I try to simplify it for my nine-year-old, like what chat GPT is, it is the collective wisdom of the internet. Like that is essentially what chat GPT is right now. And I think, you know, what we all will be forced to think about as content providers and companies are content providers in a way. And like, Kane, you're a content provider is like, what value can I provide on my website? that goes above and beyond what people can get through Google or Bing. Because if people can get everything that they need that I can provide via Google and Bing, I am essentially handing the future of my content value to a search engine. And what are the things that I can do that help differentiate my content and provide value add that go above and beyond that? And I think that's kind of the question that everybody's going to have to wrestle with is like, what's the next generation of the web presence that doesn't get reduced to a snippet that is then compared and used against all the other snippets with all the other like-for-like -like providers. And now essentially what you've done is you've said, my future of my content, my value as a company is essentially where do I land in the chat, Bing, Google, Snippetville? Um, mm. I, I think that's going to be the question that people are going to have to get wrestled with. Mm, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing because a lot of that... You know, you can see straight away the things that are that are kind of in danger there, which is, you know, for example, the smart the things that the smart answers deals with are all of the vulnerable things, I think. Yeah. Because it's all stuff that it doesn't really matter where it comes from. Yeah. Like a recipe for macaroni and cheese is a recipe recipe for macaroni and cheese. Does don't, it really don't, matter? Don't don't tell my fourteen year old that. 
he, he <laughs> will debate with you on that one, Cade, for a good half hour. I, I, agree I, with you. I, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I, I've been doing a lot of uh, a lot of chili lately, so I'm, I'm, I've been going through the World Chili Championships chili, and so fair enough. There is that. Di- there is diversity in in those recipes, but if you're if you just want to make mac and cheese. Yeah. And you're not doing it for a special occasion. You just fancy some yeah. food. And you just need, oh, how do I make that cheese sauce again? You know, th- there's anyone can provide that information. Like lyrics websites is a prime example of one that was really hit hard before. You know, like what's the lyrics to XYZ song? Just serve it in Google and that's that. Um, so it's it's interesting that, yeah, you're right. Kind of if it hasn't happened already, which I think it may have done in some cases, but if it hasn't happened already. You need to really think about what is unique. I don't see things like, mortgage companies healthcare those kind of services i don't i don't really see that going anywhere apart from potentially the data being abstracted and made available in places like on the front end of a web page like google flight booker or whatever it might be you know um but uh yeah it's an interesting interesting time isn't it yeah and i i think it also it's going to put more impetus on how do you build a brand direct relationship with your customers again an anecdote from the marketing world Airbnb ran this big experiment. You can go read about it over the past year. They've significantly decreased their paid digital marketing spend in favor of investing more in content and direct relationships with consumers. And that is a play for them to build a relationship with me that does not have a search intermediary between the two of us. Um, And so I think these technologies, the more that the search intermediary can get me quick, fast answers that, I'm going to put a big caveat on this, that I have confidence or accurate, right? Like that's the big thing here Mm -hmm. is like Mm -hmm. how accurate are these things going to be? But if they build trust, like you've got to think very hard around what do you do to go build that brand direct relationship with your consumer and how do you deliver the right content to do that? Because if you don't do that, you're going to be at the mercy of the intermediary and that's not a great place to be. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, One last question. I know we're up on time. One last question. ChatGPT's underlying technology, GPT-3 and large language models in general. Have you been looking at those at all in terms of using them for some of the conversational intelligence? For sure. What are your thoughts on that generally? Yeah, I mean, I actually had a a great chat with an engineering friend of mine the other day who is uh, kind of in this space too, and we were talking about things that we've learned. I mean, I think these models, so on the, I'm going to play both optimist and and cautious. One, One cautious note. I think everybody forgot in the first three months of chat GPT craziness, like this thing's not free. Like, like, like everybody's acting like it's free. It's computationally expensive to use another food analogy. I love ice cream. If, if ice cream didn't have calories, I would eat a lot more of it. It it has calories. There is a cost. (laughs) And so, um, I do think people are going to have to think about like, what are the cost economics in their, in their applications? Uh, but certainly I think for us and other players in the space, you know, you constantly have this question of the rising tide of technology forces you to move up the stack. You have to think about what is your unique value add. One of the things that really impressed me in Invoca, two things. Uh, when the company was founded in 2008, they built everything on AWS. That was not a no-brainer decision in 2008. That was a very far-sighted decision. Mm. And when we started working on conversational intelligence, we never built our own transcription, even back in 2014, because we believed that this was going to be an area where there are going to be platform providers who could do it at scale in a way better that we could. So we've always been very cognizant of where can we uniquely differentiate. And I think with the availability and the technology around these LLMs, you're going to have to go back and reassess where am I adding unique value versus where do these core platform technologies add across the board value and what do I do that's unique and different and how do I tie things into a specific business process? So um, yeah, I think we're in the early stages of seeing how it pans out. And I do think people forget that this does cost money and not just it costs money. It is computationally expensive. It's not a cheap thing to do. Um, But I think you, it's inevitable technology marches forward. You have to think about where am I uniquely innovating and where I uniquely innovated and delivered value five years ago may not be the same as where it is today. Um, and so I think everybody's kind of working through that and trying to get an assessment of that. Mm, I love that that observation of forcing people to work up the stack to figure out where they add value because ultimately everything, not everything, that's probably a bit of a stretch, but increasingly so things are going to be running on large language models under the hood. And there's only a handful of places where you can actually obtain a large language model from. And so the value is not going to come from the what will be a commodity in the NLP element. The value has to come further up the stack, which is what are you doing that's unique with it? And how, yeah. are, you, how, are, you, how are you uniquely placed to add value? Um, that's a fantastic observation. 
brilliant. Well, we'll, um, we'll, we'll come back with my conclusions on that in a year or two. And we'll do, uh, yeah. we'll do V2. We'll do V2. Definitely. Definitely. I, I will absolutely uh, be up for that. Definitely. Uh, Greg, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this uh, and spending some time with us. It's been absolutely amazing. I, de- I genuinely think that, as I said before, the gap that Invoker is filling is uh, a gaping one. And I'm I'm kind of not surprised that 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 market isn't more competitive it may be i may just not know about it but invoker is definitely a unique kind of uh solution from from what i've seen and I absolutely needed one because you know every, every company that i've ever worked with has this problem of not being able to tie together the customer journey and not being able to effectively utilize data on the customer experience and i think that there's no reason why there's no there's no um What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? There's, it's obvious, should I say, why the company's doing so well. So yeah, yeah. well played and thanks for joining thank, me. Thank you for having me. I love your content. I love the conversations you have. Send Winston my best. Look forward, <laughs> to, seeing, <laughs> look forward to seeing him on a walk sometime soon. I appreciate the time. Definitely. Thank you very much. And for those of you tuning in, if you want to learn more, you can go to invoca.com, I-N-V-O-C-A.com to learn more about that. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in and thank you for joining me and we'll see you again on the next one. See you soon.